We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. author Leanna Tankersley kicks off a slew of bonus author conversations coming your way here on the podcast throughout the fall. I hope that these books I'll be sharing over the next couple of months, which range from inspirational and spiritual to practical tips like decluttering and choosing a wardrobe, I hope these books will improve your life in some way and sorry not sorry for adding to your to-read stack. Today's conversation is with Leanna Tankersley, and she's releasing her sixth book, this one titled Hope Anyway, which I just thought was so well-written and beautiful. In Hope Anyway, Leanna shares the story of her 15-year marriage coming to an end unexpectedly and the heartbreak and life transition that followed. I know so many of us will relate to her message of hope following deep grief. Hope Anyway comes out next week, August 17th, and you can find out more at leannatankersley.com. And of course, I'll link to all of this in the show notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Leanna. Happy listening. Hi. Hi. What a treat, my friend. This is a gift. I know. I love talking with you. I'm so glad that we're doing this. And congratulations on your latest book. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you as well. Let me tell you, that thing's a powerhouse. Oh, thank you. You as well. I'm so glad that we became acquainted. And I'm trying to think of why. I feel like somebody sent one of your posts to me on Instagram and said that we remind her we, you know, we remind her of one another and, but I can't remember, but I remember being like, oh yes. And then I shared whatever that post was. And then it was, but that was recently, I feel like we're recently acquainted. Well, this is what you don't know is that I followed you since Hollywood housewives, Dave. Yeah. Because of Shauna Nequist, because Shauna and I have been writing friends over the years. And so she, she would always kind of put your book recommendations up or she was doing, one day HH. And so I knew of you, I've known of you for a long time, but um, I feel like this pot, this particular podcast, 10 things has really like solidified us <laughs> because I've just so enjoyed following it. So, Oh, thank you so much. Well, I am late to your bandwagon, but I'm so glad that I'm on it because I love your posts. I love your new book. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Like, just tell us who you are. And then I want to get deep into the hope anyway idea. But first, let's hear a little bit about you. 
Yeah. So I have three kids. I'm a mom. First of all, I feel like that's one of my primary identities these days, right? I'm sure you can relate when it's summer. So I have boy girl twins, Luke and Lane, who are 12. And then I have um, another little girl who's nine. Her name is Elle. And we live in central Virginia. We relocated here. I'm a San Diego native, Southern California native, actually, but we relocated here a few years ago. And we'll talk more about why and all about that. Um, And I've been writing professionally for close to 20 years now in different forms and on different platforms. And then, yeah, my latest book, Hope Anyway, is my sixth book. So that is kind of me in a nutshell. You can tell you've been writing for 20 years because you're such a good writer. It just flows. It's funny. It's poignant. I just was like, oh, this is such a beautiful reading experience to be reading your book. And so... Let's talk about Hope Anyway. I can't believe it's your sixth mm-hmm. book. That What an amazing <laughs> career. It's amazing. Can you give us some backstory to why you felt like you wanted to write Hope Anyway? Yeah. Well, in 2017, I somewhat unexpectedly found out that my marriage was ending, my 15-year, almost 15-year marriage. And you know, I always preface that by saying that none of us have perfect marriages and, you know, Things were definitely difficult at times, but I just did not see this coming. And I didn't realize that I just never really thought this is, this would be our reality, but it was clear that this was going to be our reality. And as a result of that, I clearly was devastated and I was experiencing great loss and great grief. And in the midst of all of that, I noticed something, which was there's something inside of us, I believe that is fairly immutable. And I was noticing it in myself, like as, as low as I was, as difficult as I was, as this was, I just felt this sense that I I was going to rise. Like this wasn't the end of the story. Right. And I wanted to write about that and explore it and talk about that resilience that's inside of us where we still kind of believe even, even in the midst of terrible loss. And so I started exploring that some of my own life. Like, why am I motivated to get back up? Why am I motivated to heal? Why am I motivated to go to therapy? Why, 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 what is this resilience in the human spirit that says I'm going to get back up, you know, and then the pandemic hit. So then I'm watching as I'm writing and, and kind of thinking through hope, I'm watching people just become these very creative and innovative uh, and resilient forms of themselves, right? Like we can't do it this way. We're going to have to do it that way. We can't, we can't do it in person. We're going to have to do it online. And people were just super innovative and resilient. And I saw people doing the same thing. Like we're going to find a way we're going to find a way. And I just kind of was struck by that. And I thought it was beautiful. And in in the midst of things being so hard, I felt like I wanted to pay attention to that and celebrate it. And then the other side of it is when you go through loss, you and disappointment, you develop a pretty tricky relationship with hope is hope a trick. Can I still trust hope? And so I wanted to explore this kind of nuanced relationship that I was having with hope as well. Like on one hand, I felt like there was this energy in me to put my life back together again and rebuild. And on the other hand, it was scary to to trust again, to hope again. I thought it was so hard and beautiful the way you wrote about your divorce, especially like in the early days, like after you had a a big conversation with your then husband at the table. Then you went to counseling. Then you were like sitting in your van and, Mm -hmm. you know, you, 
you write about how all these different thoughts were running through your head. Like if I can just make the right argument, if I can just present this in the most perfect way, then he will have an aha moment or we will get on the same page or, you know, whatever. I so relate to that. Like that's Mm -hmm. the way my brain works too. If I can just do this perfectly, Mm -hmm. then the pieces will fit. And it, I'm sometimes really slow to realize that the pieces are not going to fit. It has nothing to do with my perfection or not. And so I really did love how you wrote about that. In fact, I underlined, like I have going to have to share the sentence that you wrote or this phrase that you wrote, because it just knocked me to the ground. You said, you cannot surrender while you are strategizing. Do you yeah. want to say anything else about that? Because I literally, <laughs> I underlined it. I highlighted it. I was like, this is going on the gram immediately. <laughs> the gram. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like terrible news, right? <laughs> it's like the worst possible news that uh, we want to strategize ourselves back into control and back into yeah, being able to put our lives back together. And I think this has been the most significant exercise in surrender in my whole life. And and the bottom line is realizing that I don't have any control over another person, ultimately. And it's horrible news. It's like the biggest fly in the ointment of our lives, right? Is that the only person we have control over is ourselves. And so, yeah, I was between the the initial conversation that we had, there was a lag time, like a week and a half before we were gonna go to this counseling appointment. And so I just was like, okay, here's my window. And I immediately went into strategy mode. And I don't want to be too hard on myself during that time. Like you're grieving, you're undone. Like, of course, you know, you're, you're desperate. But my whole thing was, if I can come up with an airtight argument as to why this is not a good idea or why we want to go in a different path, then, then I will be able to change the course of all of this. And not even so much for myself, but for my children, right? Like that mother bear just kicks in so much. And it's like, I, I cannot let this be the reality for my children. So yeah, I I spent a lot of time during that week and a half coming up with all of these great airtight arguments and presented them beautifully, I have to say, in that counseling session. And you know what? <laughs> it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And so I I have real realized, and, and that's when after that counseling session, as I write in the book, I felt that voice, that nudge saying to me, you have to let him go. You have to open your hands and let him go. And I it, it was clear to me that while we're trying to fix things and put everything on our back and say, I'm responsible for putting all of this back together again, we can't also surrender in that moment. And sometimes our circumstances, the most significant thing we can do is just say, okay, I'm opening my hands. And whatever happens after that is what happens. But so returning to the thought of hope in that moment, I mean, I've also had to surrender. I've also had to let go. Clearly we all have. But I don't think that I turn to hope right away. So like, do you think that your little kernel of hope that you wrote about and spoke about, like, do you think that's innate in you or in us? Or do you think that you had practiced it? Do you think it was a gift? Do you like, where did that originate? Oh man, that's so good. I do think that some of us are more naturally optimistic, right? And so we want to turn to hope quicker and we want to find like, how can I start putting this back together again? But, you know, I also, and this is the, this is the truth. I I read 
before this, I read this beautiful book by Barbara Brown Taylor called Learning to Walk in the Dark. I don't know if you've read this book before, but it's like must read, right? It's so good. And she says in this book, and it actually came to mind, even in this early week of this whole tragedy, she writes, new life starts in the dark, whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, new life starts in the dark. And so frankly, I'm just being totally honest. I just, I did have that sense. Like sometimes when you were, it's the darkest moment, it's, it is seeds for a new beginning, you know? And so I do believe that. And yet, did I want these circumstances to happen? Do I wish it upon anyone? No, but there was this sense that sometimes an ending is also a beginning. And I didn't know what the beginning was going to be, Laura. Like I really didn't. And in some ways I'm still kind of grasping for it or looking for it to continue to unfold. But I did have a sense that this was not like the end end. And then also, as I talk about again in the book, pretty quickly after the sort of scenes that we're talking about right now, I felt like the this voice was saying to me, uh, Leanna, you're not losing your person, you're finding your person and your person is you. And I have been able to put a lot of hope in that. And yes, I did lose my person. Like, let's not make this super flowery or cliche. Like I did lose my person, but in the midst of losing my person, I've also found my person and that's me. This episode is sponsored by my new private podcast, Secret Stuff, except that it's really more than a podcast. I just launched Secret Stuff over on Patreon this summer, and already it is one of my very favorite places to be. Right now, we're finishing up the Stephen King Summer Book Club, where we read three books and watched three movies together, all over Zoom, by the way. Secret Stuff is something to participate in, not just listen to. We're almost done with the Stephen King portion for now, but the book club element will continue into the fall and winter with our virtual meetings. I've also been sharing some personal topics over there that really belong in a private community. And every month there's extra book and reading content on Secret Stuff and little snippets of conversation from some of my episodes here. For example, Leanna from today's episode is with me over on Secret Stuff this week talking about some of her favorite books of all time. You know that's my favorite topic. If you want to join us at Secret Stuff for bonus content, personal topics, and our special book club, go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secretstuff. That's 10thingstotellyou with the number 10.com slash secretstuff. I am sure that you can agree that literally no one wants to smell bad. But sometimes... Regular underarm deodorant just isn't cutting it. Or maybe it's not your underarms that need help. With Lumi, you don't have to worry. Lumi is the first of its kind in total body deodorant and is fully safe to use anywhere on your body. It is clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. The secret is mandelic acid, where instead of masking odor with a fragrance, it stops the odor before it even starts. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free, as well as pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and 
free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. Use code U for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code U, Y-O-U, at Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You mentioned Barbara Brown Taylor. First of all, I have a lot of questions to ask you that are coming to mind as we're talking, but let let me just detour on this for a second because I love the way that she also writes about faith in a very inclusive and open way. And your book is rooted in your faith, in your Christian faith, but I noticed that you really referenced or quoted other faith traditions throughout the book. I personally really appreciated that. I wondered if you, you know, like what, what made you do that? You know, my background, my, my education is in English. So my undergraduate, my graduate degrees are all in English. I've been surrounded by gorgeous texts my entire life. And I feel very truly like all truth is God's truth. So I am not one of those people that I kind of see the whole more than the parts. And so when something comes to me and it's resonant, Uh, with my belief system, I just feel like, yes, that says it in a way that we need to hear. And so I don't shy away from that. And I think that just comes from like, we can find beauty and we can find truth in a whole lot of places. And I'm not, I'm not discriminant about that. Yeah, I really, I extra appreciated that. But then also speaking of writing, you know, in a, in a inclusive way, how do you write? And I'm saying this having just published a book with a lot of very personal stories, but Mm -hmm. How do you write about divorce where you you truly leave him out of it in a lot of ways? Like you you really make it about you and your growth and your journey. But I am just curious, like, you know, is it like what's your thought process? Because you don't write much about the kids either. I mean, you reference them and your care for them, but like you don't get into whatever exactly they would have been going through. You certainly don't get in into what your ex-husband would have been thinking or even saying really. It's like, I guess I'm just asking, like, it's so tricky to write about these relationships (laughs) without writing about (laughs) the people. (laughs) Yes. It was the hardest book I've ever written because I wanted to honestly bring the emotional truth of this experience forward, but it had to only be about me. I couldn't, I couldn't represent anyone else's experience through this. You know, it's far too personal and I don't know, frankly, you know, and I don't have a lot of answers, frankly. And so, yeah, it's the hardest book I've ever written because for what you're talking about, having to walk that line of like really having to get clear on what my own emotional truth was and representing that in these stories, instead of trying to represent someone else's and my advice or my, the way that I often do this is to write the chapter, write the story or write the scene as if no one's going to read it, write it however you want to write it so that you can really get the truth of it down. 
And then you need to go through and kind of, I don't want to say sanitize it, but like, I just didn't feel comfortable, Laura. I know people write about their exes or about, you know, certain conversations. I just did not, I just did not feel comfortable doing that. And I needed to be able to stand by this and talk about it. If my kids read it someday, I just didn't want this to be hurtful to anyone. That was not my intention. So, but I did write some chapters, maybe a little more divulging more details. And then later just realizing like many of these details are actually not necessary to capture the emotional truth of an event. You can write deeply about what this was like for you. And it draws people in without having to share so many details about the other person. I hope, I hope that's what's happened here. No, I think you did that well. I just think that it's tricky because as a writer also, you know, they say that like the more detailed you can be, the more universal it is, which seems like that shouldn't be the truth. And sometimes I read memoir where I agree with that. Like even if their life experience, whatever it is they're writing about has nothing to do with anything I've experienced. It does make me feel like, oh, this is a universal story of loss or whatever. But like you, I prioritized privacy in as much Mm -hmm. as one can when they're writing about their, (laughs) their own life, you know, and I think it was the right choice for my book. It seems like it was the right choice for your book, but it's, there's sacrifice on both sides of that, right? Because you're not really getting to say every part of it. But I, I also think that the reader then can just insert, I don't need to know the details of your divorce to understand the pain that you're going through. I mean, I really didn't, I guess if, I guess with the less experienced writers than you, maybe it would just feel too vague, but I felt like I totally got it, what Hmm. you were writing. And I, I think that that's tricky. It is. And, you know, going back to what you were just saying, which I, I firmly am in this camp that the more personal you can make it, the more universal it becomes. I'm a hundred percent in that camp, but I don't know that personal means every disclosed detail. I think personal means we write down into as deeply as we can, our own emotional truth, what this was like for us, what we emotionally experienced more than Sometimes you can you can read something that gives a lot of details, but I still don't know there's no texture to it. I still don't know what that was like for you. You're just giving me information, right? So I, I guess my goal when I'm writing is to get into what is the spiritual truth of this or the emotional truth of this. And that's when it becomes universal because then anyone who's ever experienced that emotion, that feeling, that sense of being stuck, uh, that devastation, whatever it is, that aha, they're with you. So that's what I would add to that comment. And I agree, but I think it's not always in the disclosed details as it is in the writer doing the hard work of getting into under their own skin. Did you feel like you did that in your book? Did you feel like you were able to like really get into those stories and find what the meaning of it was for you? Well, I did a little bit what you said where my first draft was, was grittier and like named Mm -hmm. names and stuff, if you will. and then. I went to a place eventually where I cut some of the stories that were primarily about other people and really focused in on the stories that I could tell that were primarily about me. Now, I feel like I have some interesting stories or some interesting answers to the questions, if you will, in my book that are equal parts, the other person, you know, it's very relation. It's a relationship based story or whatever is interesting in that story is primarily about the other person. And I ended up just being like, I can't include this. Maybe one day, you know, maybe one day I'll be able to write this. I love reading 
memoir that are, that's not tell all from like a sell your soul sort of place, Mm -hmm. but that's really like, that really tells like what truly happened and the truth of that. And I just felt like it was my first book. I don't know that I'm experienced or talented enough to just throw caution to the wind here. Like I'm also not old enough. Maybe when I'm older, I'll be able to be like, here is all the dirt. Right. Here's Dolly Parton in a bunny costume on Instagram. I'm ready. I'm 75 and here I am. Totally. No, I think it's okay to err on the side of wisdom and caution for where you're at. And that changes for us over time. It develops, but I'm not going to regret, you know, not writing an expose. I would have regretted that. I would have regretted that, you know? And so I'm going to stick with what I can stand by that's true, but that I'm not going to regret. And I think that's the, that's the razor sharp line where we're all having to walk. And I'm with you. Like, I do love reading all the gritty details, but I'm wondering if that's like the underbelly of my humanity that enjoys getting to hear all the dirty details. Yeah. And what you just said also struck because I definitely felt like that you don't always know the truth of something until you're a little farther away from it. And so if you are still close enough to this event that you can be, that you can sort of be like, this is what it feels like for me right now, but hold, hold the experience, like hold the door open to be like, I actually may feel differently about this in a decade. And I've read memoir that I felt like they wrote this too close to the Mm -hmm. event. And Mm -hmm. sometimes like if you're talking about a cultural event, like a, a current event that we need to hear that action right now. But in a general memoir, sometimes I feel like this could have used some breathing room. And I knew that because I've been writing online also for over a decade. And uh, some of these stories that I told in my book, I had held on to. I mean, they're childhood stories that that existed when I started writing. But I would have written differently about them like before I was a mom or before I knew how to tell a story in the same way that I do now, whatever. Like there is the truth. I don't want to say that the truth morphs because that feels like not the right thing to say, but it, the, the way that you extract meaning from it definitely morphs. Yeah. And don't you think you write differently after 40 than you did before 40? You know, your ego gets a little less involved and like, I think you, you are growing and changing and transforming. So of course, how you're representing events in your life do as well. Yeah, totally. I loved how you wrote in the book about your sister, but really both of your siblings. You tell this great story about your brother. And I have a brother who is also sort of a pep talker. Like he's also like, we need to sit down and really have a come to Jesus over something. And so I really related to that. Tell me more (laughs) about your relationship with your siblings and how they were there for you in this time post-divorce. Oh my gosh. I mean, how much time do we have? You know, we've always, we've always been very close. We come from a family where we experienced divorce as children, which has actually been this very strange kind of grace as I've been able to walk my, this is an aside, but kind of walk with my children through this. I can talk to them about the fact that I went through this too, when I was nine years old, you know? And so my siblings, we have this kind of, I think we have a a unique solidarity because of some of the hard things we went through as kids. And then I don't know. I mean, they are just 
they're funny, they're smart, they're accomplished, they're interesting to me. They're like walking conundrums, you know, and we were all three college athletes. And so we share this like odd love of sports and sports metaphors. And I laced this throughout the book, but from the moment that this all went down, they were gracious. They were not advice givers. They just showed up in these ways where they were able to hold all the nuances of this very difficult situation. It was a loss for them too. This was their brother-in-law and to see them be able to show up in ways that were truly like holding space for all of what was going on and just being able to be there for me was so cool. But yeah, my sister, she would time it to where I would get in line at the pickup line to pick up the kids from school and she'd call me, you know, and, and she'd just start the conversation, hey, just super light, you know, hey, just checking in. And then I'd talk for 10 minutes and cry. And then I'd say, okay, the kids are getting in the car, got to go. And every day, just checking in. She'd send me a text, just checking in. I just can't tell you what that means when you're like, you're unraveling, you know, and Uh, And then my brother just, you know, he flew to me a few different times and at a few different really key points and just, I'm coming. And yeah, the story that you're talking about, Laura, is very funny. And we were all gathered at this VRBO in the wilderness, our whole family. And we were all like various states of disrepair and unwell and all going through a lot of hard things. And my, and we were just like, it wasn't bringing the best out of us, you know, we were kind of at each other and nitpicky and I don't know. And my brother just sat us down and had this huge talk about our family brand. And he's like, you guys are all off brand. You need to get it together. It was like, you know, down by 20 at the half, get back in the game. And it was funny. And yet it was poignant. And I don't know. It was just, I wanted to write about it because I felt like we we all need that. We need that compassionate like back rub, but we also all need that tough love every once in a while. Like, do you know who you are? Like, remember who you are and like, get back to it. Let's go. Like, we're awesome. Let's be awesome. It's one of my favorite stories in the book, probably because I same related to it. I also have a brother and a sister and we've mm-hmm. also gone through some harder times in the last few years. And we've had to pep each other up or we've had to tell each other to pull it together. Like it's time now to pull it together. And, you know, you can speak to your siblings or at least in, in my relationship, in your relationship, you can speak to your siblings in a way you never would anyone else. You know, you can be kind of harsher to them in a way that you wouldn't be to anyone else, but you can also just sort of say the bald, bold thing to a Mm -hmm. sibling because, you know, even though it hurts, I've had, you know, hard conversations with my siblings, but it's, there's an unconditional love there. And I also appreciate what you just now said about they were experiencing a loss also because Mm -hmm. both of my siblings are divorced and, you know, there are various states of no one else is allowed to talk about the divorce except for the people divorcing when really that's actually not true. And that there is deep loss when your family fabric changes. And yeah, I just feel like I haven't ever been able to explore that really because out of, out of respect and, and appropriateness and whatever. But whenever someone says something like that, I always like key in on it as yes, divorce changes whole families, whole extended families. 
Yeah. It's a loss for everyone. It's a grief for everyone. And the person that's most immediately going through it, it is very difficult to have the capacity to hold everyone else's grief with your own. Just speaking from experience, it's very hard, but it is also very real. You know, this is, everyone is going through the death of this. And that was very real in our circumstance. I will also say that, um, And and this is why I wanted to write about it in the book is that when we go through loss, when we go through hard things, we need to key in on the things that as a result of the hard thing become even more beautiful to us. And one of those things is my relationship with my family and my relationship with my siblings. The main reason we relocated from Southern California to Central Virginia is to live near my sister and my mom. And on the same coast as my brother, I just, that's what felt like home base to me in the middle of a wind tunnel you know, and I just wanted to be near them. And I remember, I won't give you all the circumstances, but there was one, one morning due to a a crazy amount of circumstances that I woke up in a king size hotel bedroom. I was in the middle. My sister is on one side and my brother is on the other side and we're all in this bed together. And I just wake up and I'm like laughing and crying at the same time, because it's like, this is so hard. This is so hard. And this is so beautiful. Like I'm sweating because there are three grown people in this bed and yet here we are together, you know? And so one of the, one of the beautiful things that have come, come out of all of this is just this, this galvanizing that I feel with my family. That's super beautiful. There was one other part that I marked in the book because I've talked about this before. And also it made me need to pay more attention to it again. You talk about going to a yoga class where the yoga teacher spoke about your front body. Yeah. And this was like right after the divorce, right? Or the hard conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty quickly after all that. Yes. Do you want to just explain? I read, I don't know. Is this a yoga term? I don't even know. But when I read, when I read front body, I was like, oh yes. I immediately like stood up and started going like this. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It was just this beautiful, like I had recently been standing, I was, I was up in Lake Tahoe visiting extended family. And I had been earlier that day standing on the bank of the Truckee river, just like I've got to, I just still like picking it all back up again, as we do, you know, we surrender it and then we go pick it all back up again. And it's like, I I have to fix this. I have to change it. What can I do to, to relieve the pain of all these people that are going through all this? And I just felt like, you know, it's just, it's not all up to you. And I realized that when I do feel like it's all up to me, I'm just like, I'm so hunched. I'm so burdened. And then on top of that, I go to this yoga class and the yoga instructor wants us to open up our front body. And I do think that's a yoga term. And she just talked about how we are hunched. We're hunched over the stove, over the the diaper we're changing, over the computer, you know, over our steering wheel, whatever it is, we're always hunched. And she said, you know, we need, and it's vulnerable, but we need to open up the front body. So the whole class was designed to like, you and I are both doing this. We're both sitting up and opening our chest up, putting our shoulders back, right. To get your chest and your heart up and open to the sky. And she said, the reason why we tend to hunch, and I just love this, is that opening up the front body is vulnerable. And it is, right? It's like vulnerable to spread our chest and our heart open. And we don't tend toward vulnerability. Hunching is, we're all more protected. And so it was just a really beautiful moment. And I cried in that yoga class, just realizing like, I can't just, I can't take all the weight of this on my back and carry everybody through it. I wasn't meant to. 
it's, it's not the way this is supposed to go. Like what I have to do again is surrender and open up, open up, open up. And so, yeah, I think about that. Like I'm sitting here, same thing. You can't strategize when you're trying to surrender, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm making my notes and I'm getting my sticky notes out and I'm making lists and it's like, just stop and sit up and open up. And it really does help take a deep breath. You know, I don't know how to abandon strategizing. I mean, (laughs) I don't, I like literally don't like that's my only controlling everyone else (laughs) and, and the situation is like the only way I know how to be. And it's not that I don't understand what you're saying because I've had to do it. I mean, I've had to do it. I've had to release. I've had to whatever. But I also think in some circumstances, and maybe this is just the week that we're recording this, this is how I feel, but I seize the tiny pieces of control that I have because I feel like I have so little control in my life. I think if an outsider looked at my life, they would think that I had it all under control. Like I run my home and my family in our social life, like a cruise ship director. Like I have a lot of agendas and a lot of to-do lists and I speak with authority and all this kind of thing. But when we're being truthful about it, I am on the inside, I realize how much I don't have control over anything. And so I seize control of the things I do have, which is like where we're going to eat, what the house is going to look like. You know, if I get sassy or bossy with someone, oftentimes it's from a sense of like, I'm actually not controlling this situation. So I have to assert myself in this particular way so that I don't look law as lost as I feel inside. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, what you're describing is like, it's a, it's your coping mechanism, right? And it's like, totally. it's okay. It's okay. We all have them. The thing for me that I realize about coping mechanisms is that sometimes we use them in a way that actually causes us to abandon ourselves. We think we're using them to, to stay with ourselves, but it's actually an abandonment. And so what I realize with my own coping strategies are like, maybe these grasps for control for you is like, it's actually a way that you don't have to be present. Mm. And, you know, that for me is the greatest invitation is to be present and to stay home with myself. And there's nothing wrong with having life organized and strategized. Like it's not, it's, we're not demonizing that. It's just, I know when I'm using that, you know what I mean? Like a, like a, like you're being a user (laughs) versus like, this is simply what helps me keep my life going in a way that is not overly chaotic. There's differences and all that. So yeah, I know when I'm using and when my coping strategies are becoming ways that I just am not, I don't want to deal with the present and I don't want to deal with what I'm feeling. And so I invoke that coping strategy, you know? So I don't know how to stop striving either. I don't know how to stop strategizing either. Other than to say that when I come back to the moment, when I trust flow over my own strategy and strategizing, that's when I feel like anyway, internally, I'm, I'm coming back to myself and not abandoning myself. You know, you said in an episode recently, Laura, that I absolutely loved. And it was like, I think it was the 10 things you learned in your 41st year. Am I saying that? Am I capturing yes. that right? Yes. So I loved every single thing you said in that episode. And if you guys haven't heard it, you really need to go back and listen to it because it was just so beautifully done and so poignant. But the thing that I took away from that more than anything is how we give up our power. 
And I think a lot of our coping mechanisms, we think it gives us power, like grabbing that control. At the end of the day, I just wonder if sometimes it's actually we we lose our power because Mm -hmm. we're not staying with ourselves, you know, and actually going into what's really going on for us or having to face stillness or silence. It's not good news. Like no one wants to do these things, right? But I just have been doing a lot of work around self-abandonment and and what it means to be present and to stay with myself and to not give up my power, mm-hmm. right? Like not override my own values because of my fear or because of my shame or because of someone else's big opinions and loud voice, but to stay at home base, you know? And so I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's what you're talking about or if that's what it is for you. But when I'm striving and strategizing, it's because I want to get out of what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, no, that hits for sure. I mean, I've learned a lot about power. I feel like in my late 30s, early 40s has been a lot of also me learning what true power is, which Hmm. really comes from life experience. Like when I seize control, it is also trying to seize power or just trying to have some say, trying to have some kind of power in a situation, Mm -hmm. not to overpower anyone or or to take it from someone else, but to just stop feeling helpless. Mm -hmm. But really you have to experience the power in surrender, the power in letting go or in hope to bring it back to your book, to understand that there is power there. I think theoretically you think, no, surrendering is like the opposite of power Like that's what it seems like on paper, (laughs) right? Right. But that's not true. There is so much, like some of the most powerful people I know and, and, and powerful is a broad term, but powerful in the impact they make in the world or powerful in how rooted they are or, or whatever, wherever their power comes from, they are the opposite of what the world tells us powerful is. Exactly. Man, I love that. I love that. And we have to investigate that because we're getting a lot of messages about what it looks like to have influence these days and to have power and to have a voice. We're getting a lot of messages about and how to increase that. And I don't think there's, I I fully believe, especially for women, that we all go on this journey of finding and using our voices that I think is, is absolutely imperative. I mean, I'm raising two daughters and I feel like this is imperative for women in this day and age to be finding and getting comfortable with using their voice. So of course, Mm -hmm. like I believe in that too, but I do think what you're saying is I've, some of my strongest, most grounded moments have been in, uh, in deep quiet and deep surrender. And it's also because I believe if you look in the, in the, in like the um, language of Alcoholics Anonymous, let's say that those are the moments also when you are most connected to your higher power, I think. And so I think for me and what I believe, that's also very important that I am not just trying to like hulk my life up in my own hands, but that I realize that I'm at my best and most powerful when I'm connected to a higher power too. And so, yeah, it's, it is nuanced, but we, I think what you're saying makes so much sense on, I think it's very smart. Like when are we, are we adopting definitions of power that don't actually serve us? When do we feel most powerful? How do we define power? And yeah, it could be kind of counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I just loved though, that you were really honing in on the times that you gave away your power because you overrode your own values or your own intuition. And I also just feel like that is such an important message. I've spent years in my life doing that to keep the peace And then all of a sudden you realize you're that frog in the pot of water and it's boiling all around Mm -hmm. you. And it's just like, oh, no, this is not what I wanted, how this was supposed to go. Where am I? Who am I? 
I think a lot of women have had that experience. Absolutely. And I think a lot of women will relate to your book, whether they have gone through the same loss that you have or you know, any of us have gone through any number of things, but just the way that you write about hope and where you found it and how you found it. I just thought it was very beautiful. And so I so appreciate you coming on the show to talk about your new book called Hope Anyway, welcoming possibility in ourselves, God, and each other. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think the main thing I want to, I want your, your audience to know is that we spend a lot of time hoping for things, hoping for outcomes, hoping for products hoping for things to go a certain way. And really the gist of this book is what we can put our hope in. And it's often a process more than a product. And again, it's terrible news, but I think that's where we find our power and our stability. So thank you so, so much for having me. I loved having you. And now back to the show. just listened to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 things to tell you. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.